for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organizations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker, and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges joined by relevant experts and real life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. And welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And we're leaning now into the topic of culture. And I'm delighted to have Miles Bunnell with me today of Milo HR, who's going to explain how we can create a winning talent culture or acquisition strategy. And we're going to focus in on SMEs because I know that many of our listeners are that HR department of one. That's not to say it's not appropriate for those of you who work in larger organisations, but we thought we'd give a little bit of extra focus on the smaller businesses today. Um, so, Miles, thank you so much for joining today. Would you like to give a bit of an introduction to yourself and your background? Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Um, so I am a founder of Milo HR, um, current head of talent for Diverium, and I've been in talent leadership roles now for the last 10 plus years. Uh, and that's ranged from kind of healthcare sector to um, the kind of global giants, Amazon, Tesco, um, so I guess my my real niche where, where I've honed my skills in over the, the, the past few years is specialising on kind of fixing talent acquisition departments or um, creating really cool strategies for them. Um, so that's kind of me and my niche. And it is really good to have a niche, isn't it, in terms of people understanding how to get the, you know, how you can help them best. And I guess just before we kind of go into, I guess you might, this might leap ahead into where we're going with this. When you say fixing problems that people have, would I be leaping ahead to say, what's a typical problem? Yeah, so it could be a number of things, really. Um, so it could be, um, you know, I guess a big one at the moment is technology. So technology and talent acquisition. Um, it doesn't matter if you know what you had five years ago worked then five years is is is, is a lot is a mass amount of time when it comes to technology so keeping up with technological advances you know using new smart technologies automating technologies ai being the buzzword at the moment to um try and kind of integrate that into your talent acquisition process i think that's that's a big thing that i i tend to focus on um looking at people's employer branding because you know in terms of how you brand yourself to the external market again that changes as new leaders come in and out of the business um so it it could be anything technology related evp related um or just you know operationally it might be that a business is going through a mass amount of growth which means their ta strategy needs to then adapt to the growth that they're going through so it could be a number of things but um it's it not it's not necessarily that something's broken as such but maybe something just needs tweaking because you know businesses change all the time so it is something you've got to be right up to the moment with and always sort of thinking about keeping it fresh in terms of, of moving things through oh yeah definitely yeah 
So um, if we, we sort of, when we discussed this as a plan, we thought we'd try and give it a sort of a, a high level end to end approach, didn't we? So mm. how do you want to stretch this and, and where should we start, Miles? So I think for me, it's, it's funny because we talk about recruitment as uh, this kind of operational process. And um, a lot of people that I, I speak to when it comes to recruitment think of uh, the beginning step being the point of an applicant applying for a role. Um, whereas for me, it actually starts for a, a bit bit before that. And it, it all comes back to, you know, what the business is actually doing themselves. So for me, I think the foundation for a good recruitment process is looking at what's happening happening um, in-house with your teams in terms of the culture, um, you know, how you're retaining your staff, how your um, how your employees feel. And um, for me, that's that's the beginning of any recruitment process. It's, it's, it's mapping out how your business is working and making sure that what you're selling to your candidates is exactly what they're getting. So the key thing here is about alignment of the actual culture. Is it or, or are there ever ever situations where you might sell a different culture to what you have, or because you want to change the culture? When when might you not align? Yeah, I've done. I mean, I've been in positions like that before, where you know a business will will have kind of mapped out what their values are, and on a piece of paper it says one thing, and actually you know the business is in flames and people you know you've got high turnover rates and it's it's not really reflective as of 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 what you're selling into candidates so i think that there needs to be that synergy with with recruitment and ops to actually make sure that there's this transparency and honesty with candidates that you're bringing in uh, to say look this is where we're trying to get to but this is where we're at at the moment so i mean it's whilst it's all well and good me saying you know get your house in order that's not not something that's going to happen overnight but I think making sure that you're on the right road to get to where you want to be uh, I think is important and then taking the candidates on the journey as you start as the applications start to trickle through um, I think that's that's the best way to map out a solid recruitment process and it also and we'll come on to this in a moment I'm sure but um, it also kind of feeds into those KPIs that that measure what a good talent acquisition team looks like for example turnover within a 12 month period if you're going to be bringing people in and you've sold them something that it's not then they're they're obviously going to leave quite quickly so um so yeah start starting with the basics and making sure you you've mapped out the the, the culture prior to actually advertising yeah for me it's 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 that it's, it's 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 the first point of call before you start any recruitment process no, it may start with that. And then being aware about saying, I like the point you're saying. So actually being honest with yourself. So if whatever mm. you've done previously, if you're having high turnover in that first 12 months period, then something is disconnecting between your messaging and the lived experience of a, of a candidate within that 12 months. And it may be culture. It may be, well, I suppose even the way they're managed is also cultural, actually. Um, so that's yeah. that's really key. And I was just thinking there, of course, it does make sense to be honest, because you know, if you if you paint a business to be the best thing since sliced bread and it's all a really smooth operating organization and they get in and it's kind of seat of the pants, that's a different person. There are different candidates who will thrive in each of those environments. There are some people, if you go, actually, this is a real challenge. We want someone who's going to come in and help us form the culture we want. You'll get somebody 
who is going to help you on that journey. So it does make sense to be honest in terms of where you're aspiring to go to, isn't it, if you're not quite there? Yeah, and I think, again, it comes down to that that piece where I think some people are, are almost afraid of scaring people off when it comes to the recruitment process. But you, you, you're 100% right. that different candidates aligned to different types of roles. And, you know, if you, if you, if you know that your culture isn't exactly where it needs to be, then you need to find someone that's going to come in and, 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 ch- and help change that culture. Um, and we were, I mean, we were talking before the podcast about culture. And I think for me, the, the culture is the, the tone is kind of set at board level. But then that needs to really trickle down and embed within the teams in terms of make, really setting the tone for the business and, and, and hiring leaders that, that will be able to come into the business and support with any change of culture. I think it's really important. Um, and that transparency at recruitment. Um, when you are hiring these these kind of leaders into the business is yeah really important yeah great okay so we've we've got this sort of solid foundation we've thought about our culture thought about our brand percept- um, perception what are we going to do next so once once you've kind of and and I, I like that part that 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 start to recruitment because that's where that um there's that overlap between generalist hr and Um, talent acquisition so that's where the two departments really work well together in terms of you know figuring out what the culture is and obviously working with the wider ops teams and then being able to put that into a tangible message to then advertise and that's when you would start looking at um, you know what the business really needs to really assessing what the current need is and then what the future need is to then really set a strategy and set a tone as to to what's going to work well for the business because if, if I came into a business um, as a TA leader and they said look we just need things fixing so how it's currently working is going to work as efficiently as possible my strategy would be very different to a business that say said we're going to double in size in the next two years um, because you know that high growth and the, the 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 strategy that would be put in place would 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 allow for that growth so I think understanding what the actual need is before, you know, setting the strategy out is really important. And then that all kind of comes back around to looking at the budgets, you know, what, 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 what kind of money you'd be working with in terms of systems implementation, what, what your purchasing power would be. Um, and then coming straight back to the basics and, and mapping out what roles you'll be recruiting um, within any given within within any given period, and getting the job descriptions right, and this comes back to that messaging piece around you know the job description sets a scene for what the the, the culture is like, and then what recruitment will do is that we'll use that job description to then create some really powerful adverts to reach out to candidates and to reach the market. Right, and so um, I mean, I was interested. Actually, I was going to ask the whole thing about job descriptions or role profiles. Would you? is that do they still exist as as they used to if you know what I mean is that something you were talking about how things change over time um obviously Mm. you need to be clear about what you're recruiting for but I wonder whether they are the same as the traditional um job description that you might have had 20 years ago yeah that's it funny I had a, a conversation the other day with um my current business about job descriptions and I mean, a lot of them hadn't been updated for um, for, for quite a few years. Um, so I I personally believe that what's in the job, job description needs to be um, 
need 100% it needs to relate to the role and it needs to it needs to really outline what they'll be doing on a day to day but at the same time because everyone's role evolves slightly so let's take a a nurse for example um their role will potentially evolve as 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 kind of years go on but the basics of what they will do will remain so i think being um being concise with the data that's in a job description is important but making it too exhaustive can can have a negative effect and and i guess the real role of a job description is for for recruitment we'll use it to create an advert but the real role of the role of a job description is so that the candidate can understand exactly what um good looks like for their role what they're measured against in terms of the uh, kind of performance indicators and it, it's, it's really a tool for hr to be able to and their managers to use and sit down with them when they have their kind of annual appraisals and 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 you know okay so what did you do well this year against your job description and if that job description isn't up to date um and you know your 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 expectations of the individual sit outside that job description it's a clear indicator that it needs to be updated but i think for me um shorter is better when it comes to job descriptions yeah and that's one of the things i suppose that um as you say, it's about people having clarity, but things evolve over time. And, and, and I was thinking if you are very exhaustive, certainly some environments, then people become a little bit more uh, dogmatic. And actually in lots of organisations, particularly if we're talking SMEs here, mm. you need people who are prepared to do what needs to be done within the business, within the realms. Yeah. And so you need to have a little bit of, um, I guess, openness or ambiguity to that job description. You know, know what the core things are, but also to be able to um, deliver other aspects Yes, hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, I don't know whether this is going into where we're going to talk next about in terms of you know ad- advertising and things like that. I did wonder. I was thinking, is this would this be about skill planning? This might be about maybe a resource planning about in large mm. organisations where you've got to do sort of um, resource planning. Is this this where this sits? Where you're lining this up with a combination of your budget and your gaps or your growth? Um, is that is that also where this part sits, or would that sit later? Um, yes, I, I'd say so, and I think. I think there needs when again when it comes back to job descriptions, I think you need to create the job descriptions and almost group them based on transferable skill sets, so that when it comes to you know resource planning, um, you can identify people that could potentially move internally into roles. Yeah. And funnily enough, when we when we come to talk about you know actually advertising the role, internal would be obviously the first point of call before you do before you go external. You you should be asking the wider business. Look, we've got this role. Is anyone in your team, um, you know, suitable for it? Could could there be a sideways move or an upward move where we can actually, you know, gain that gain that ex- move move that experience in house and really capitalise on it? It's, I mean, that's fascinating. We are totally going into probably larger businesses there, but again, it reminds yeah. me of businesses that I've worked in and and with how poorly done that is quite often, and it's an opportunity. Mm-hmm to retain people where people often feel they have to leave a business and often return um, in order to get that progress that they need. So I I suspect that half the problem is having that visibility of those transferable skills, isn't it? Define them. I mean, we had, we had massive teams. I mean, Amazon's, I'm not even going to talk about Amazon with this because they had, they had teams the size of SME businesses that would solely, you know, focus on workforce planning. But I mean, even going back to when I was at Tesco, um, we would we would do exactly that. There would be a team that would focus on 
different different business areas and then be able to then share that knowledge across the wider business to see who our high performers were um and see if we could we could support them with their their growth um across wider business areas so in bigger businesses that's how it works and and i mean in a lot of smes when when i'll go into the businesses these businesses they don't even have someone that one person that would actually look after that or look at it you know they'd have the standards layout is you know talent acquisition learning and development generally state hr and then each of those department it, it resource planning and and it there's no real ownership between no. any 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 three of the the kind of core departments um so i think it is down to talent acquisition to really really get the word out there and be able to effectively advertise those roles internally because i think a lot yeah a lot of the problems that, that smaller businesses have is like you said there's just no visibility of these roles so if, the, if, if, if even if you go okay you take ownership of your own career opportunities here and we'll leave it to you to to you know apply for roles if they don't know where they're applying or what the roles are then how are you supposed to take ownership of your your, your own career within a business so yeah 100 percent. it's 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 yeah visibility i think especially for smes is going to be the important thing yeah and i think maybe you have to flip it um and, and there may be people out here who say we're stating the obvious here but to a certain extent there's a bit of a light bulb for me so how, you know so i've worked in large organizations in fact last week i did a i worked for siemens and siemens is although it's got a larger organization and it's quite talent um, it will have all the people, as, as you've described in the businesses you've talked to in terms of talent development internal. Um, the reality is because it's a business of quite a lot of acquisitions. And I mean, you could look at, I don't know, the NHS like that. You could look at lots of organisations. They're still siloed. So big businesses can still be siloed. So even though you have transferable skills in one silo, the chances of getting moved into another one. It's not all, you know, it's not maximised. And I, again, I think technology could well be the way there in terms of getting better um, job families and transferable skills there. Oh, but yeah. SMEs, which is, I suppose, our, our key focus here. For me, this feels like it is really important to empower the individual and also put a bit of responsibility on the line manager about almost how do you do it bottom up? So saying, mm -hmm. you know, you've got these skills here, where might you want to go in the business? And it, it's about working flexibly with the individual and thinking about, what career pathway could they map out um, and almost doing it organically because you're not yeah. necessarily going to have those jobs. And, and it's about being um, in, uh, in touch with the individual's skills and aspirations, but also understanding where the pain points are for that small business. And you may end mm -hmm. up developing roles or you, know, you talk about career pathways that kind of go up as opposed mm -hmm. to um, the top down type approach. I'm sure that's an, a whole other episode, isn't it? But uh, oh, um, yeah. And I think yeah, but, but without digressing too much, there's there's some really cool technologies I've been working with over the past few months where actually uh, artificial uh, artificial intelligence can kind of capture that that core data from a role, yeah. move that job description completely out of the way and then match it against a, a different role with the right transferable skills and the skill sets that that that, that role would need. Um, so it almost disregards your job title and, and drags across you know the transferable skills that that role the, the the job description that's been written for it uh requires so it allows people to you know there is definitely cool technologies that are, are, are being developed at the moment that allow for that to happen and that's that 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 transfer of skills um within the business to happen without having to think too hard about it so yeah it's it's yeah massively interesting topic and we could 
probably talk about it all day but yeah so I think it's definitely these are it's interesting also though to talk practically about AI in that we're not going to go off into the AI but that's I like it when you hear a specific tangible example that makes sense to me mm -hmm. the use of AI mm -hmm. and I think you've mm -hmm. also got AI in the next area haven't you when you're talking about building adverts yeah so and I mean AI could uh, I mean I think it is going to be a reoccurring topic and I think AI is going to for me, I think there's a lack of knowledge around AI at the moment and actually what it is. Um, it's often mistaken for a piece of software that's just a bit clever. Um, but um, I think with talent acquisition, it, it, it seems to be, from my own experience, that AI is really supporting with automation around how candidates apply, um, how, candidate, um, how businesses can deliver talent acquisition. Um, and if we if we talk about the um, the EVP um, of, of a business, for example, that's the employee so, value proposition. Um. Yeah, that's it. Employee value proposition. So how you advertise your your internal brand to the outside market. Um, that I mean, it's it's helped me personally. So I myself, I'm quite heavily dyslexic. Um, and so for me, actually verbalizing what's in my head comes very easy, but putting it down on paper is a nightmare for me because I just, it's, it's, it's hell. So if I, um, if I talk into my phone and tell artificial intelligence exactly what I want to, to put down on, on, on paper and, um, you know, when it comes to, I don't know, an advert or um, writing a careers website, artificial intelligence will do that all for me. It will take my words and it will put it into uh, a tangible, readable sentence that actually sounds good so that the, the wider business can use it. Um, so for me, things like ChatGBT or other technologies um, that, that, that could do similar things, Bard, for example, or, uh, or, or, or any others would be able to do that for me. And I think it's a really important tool that talent acquisition can definitely lean on to, to be able to, to create some really cool content. Um, and there is a bit of danger behind it as well, because obviously we don't want to get to the point where everything looks the same and feels the same and is generic. So you do need, it's not a case of, you know, ask ChatGPT to write your EVP for you because it's it's just not going to work. There needs to be that personal touch. And if you are leaning on AI to, to support you with writing a, an EVP or, or doing any of that, um, it, it needs proofing, you know, two or three times after you receive it. But I, I do think that there is, there is a, a place for using it, especially for me. Like I said, I'm, I'm a very specific example there, but um, I've, I've used it and it's helped me a lot. Yeah. Um, so then if we continue with EVP, so, you know, when, when it comes to, you know, turning that button on and, you know, you've, you've set your stall up and you've gone internally to see if there's any candidates there, when, when you're creating a, a, a talent strategy, what you really need to be doing is thinking, right, okay, so... I know what our brand is at the moment. I know where it wants to be. Let's capture that and really sell an honest picture to our candidates so that they, so that we can match the right candidates, the right people to our business. Um, and I think that honesty piece is, 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 is crucial here. So, um, and, and I think for me as well, that communication goes a bit further than just the website. It's every piece of communication you send through to the candidate um, is as part of their interview process. Um, you know, if if for me, I I mean, the, the big thing for me it, when it comes to communication as well is if I don't hear as as if I put my 
the shoe on the other foot if i'm a candidate and i don't hear back from a recruitment process that i've been through that is a i mean i don't think i would ever ever reapply there again it yeah. just for me leaves a bit, bit of taste in my mouth and th there's been some really interesting studies to say that actually and i don't have the stats off the top of my head but that if 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 you don't hear back from an interview process and you get ghosted that you're more likely to not apply there again but you're also more likely not to to recommend that company to any of your friends and family so the damage that the communication as part of your evp can make um can be it, it can be brutal yes and, and, and again depending on what the brand is of that business can be really multiplied can't it in terms of um it's a consumer brand what about yes. um i mean things like diversity and inclusion which is, again larger organizations can have metrics and ways of attacking that sort of thing how can you make sure that your um your recruitment process isn't biased um in this sort of area yeah so i mean again you can you can, there's a load of tools out there that you can use um so we're, we're starting with the basics here so there's there's loads of tools out there that you can use to actually make sure that your adverts have been screened to make sure that there's no bias in them in terms of the wording of the adverts in terms of the messaging so if you're using overly masculine words it, it can pick up on that so that you know you can make it a um you know a a diverse advert so that it, it, it attracts people from from all backgrounds um so there's a number of things you can do with your adverts to make sure that the adverts themselves and the messaging is is um diverse and i think it's, it's funny because when it comes to kind of data collection and we'll come on to the ats piece and technology um in a bit but when it comes to actually collecting that data as well and using it whilst equating diversity or diversity and inclusion or equity and diversity, however you want to shape it for your business, um, is extremely important. And more often than not, it's generalist HR that will use that data from their internal employees. And, um, you know, and, 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 and that's where projects will usually start. I think it's really important piece of work that actually starts at recruitment in terms of, you know, how you advertise and what, what, how, how that data from your applications is then distributed internally. Um, you know, the, the actual interviews, how diverse is your interview panel when you're interviewing? I mean, back when I was, and I'm not gonna name the company, but you might guess it, but uh, in one of my previous companies, um, we had this, we had the, one of the departments um, feeding back saying, yes, we're a really diverse um, department here. We've got, you know, 50% male, 50% female. Um, and then it turns out after kind of doing a bit of due diligence and digging into the data that yes, they were 50% male, 50% female within that department. And it was a very large department in, um, uh, not in the UK, it was a European country, but the split was 50-50 with 50% of the males being um leaders or senior leaders and yeah. all of the junior staff that were coming in being female yeah. so you know that 50 50 sounded great on paper and it was easy for them to really shout about it but when when you actually dig down into the information you could see that there was a massive split so uh, kind of driving back from that i then did this massive piece of work to go okay so how are we gonna how are we gonna get this changed how we're going to actually move some of these female workers into more leadership roles and 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 kind of 
distribute the, the that divide and um what we did in the end was we 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 brought people in from other areas of the business other females in from other areas of the business um in leadership positions to do interviews so be on the interview panel and represent um represent females because there was no one there within that department that could represent the the uh, uh, <laughs> that the, the minority was the the female in this relationship so um and it was great because over time over a six month period you could see that we were starting to become a bit more inclusive with how we were we, we were hiring the leadership positions and it, and, it, and it worked but you know i think when it comes to when it comes to being a diverse employer you need to be very um you need to be you need to be conscious about you know the stats that you're collecting, how they're being distributed and how you can impact that as a talent acquisition team. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> there's so much so much to think of again, isn't it? And this balance again, we keep going large company and then small company. And I guess yeah. in a small business, um, you've just got to make sure you, you're not biased. You, I, I guess you've just got to be aware, haven't you? Because you've still got to mm. recruit the best person for the job. And so that takes us into the practicalities now, doesn't it, of actually... Yeah sourcing the candidates which again when you haven't got a talent acquisition team in a smaller business it's time consuming so yeah. uh, what, what would you say what if we kind of over the next sort of 10 minutes or so to, let's focus in on the sort of bringing that candidate in and what we need to do next yes definitely so you've got your evp you've got your careers white site up and, and running you've got your adverts written so this is where you you would rely heavily on your applicant tracking system to kind of push adverts out there and I see an applicant tracking system as more than just the kind of database that candidates come through. I see it as an automation tool. So when you look at this, uh, SMEs um, as uh, as a business, um, you really want the biggest return on investment for your talent from your talent acquisition team. And the best way to get good return on investment is setting your systems up to automate as much work as possible. Yeah. So. For, uh, again, another. I'll give you another example of a business. This one's an SME that I, I went into, where the they had an applicant tracking system. Um, however, the applicant tracking system wasn't set up effectively, and um, their onboarding process as well um, set sat, sat separate to their general recruitment process and was very much heavily paper based. So. I went into the business, reviewed everything, did my audit, and it turned out that we had two full-time administrators doing the work of what the applicant tracking system, <laughs> the, the ATS, could do right. for them. So in the space of six months, I effectively made two people redundant through using an ATS properly because it completely removed all the paper-based processes, all the meetings that they were having, um, and, and automated it all through effectively using your system properly um i'm happy to say that they weren't made redundant from the business but we reutilized their skills elsewhere in hr and we gained two extra headcount that yeah. could be used for, for projects more valuable. yeah, less yeah. Is, yeah. And, and i mean for, but both both of the people in those roles i mean i don't think they had much job satisfaction from what they were doing because they were just coming in and going through the motions um, and, you know, their new roles that were created off the back of that, they were so, you know, you could see that they, their, their eyes were lighting up with the new projects that they were taking on and, and the new work that they were doing. 
So I think setting up your ATS is, is going to be the key thing to make sure that you get the best return on investment from your talent acquisition teams. What would, be um, the, what would be the sort of quick things that you'd say, have you set up properly? Because certainly having used ATS ourselves, I know you can get inundated uh, with mm. hundreds of candidates. Um, yep. So there's sort of a level of sort of sifting. So what can you do to set something up effectively and to make this less painful when you have got limited resource? Yeah, definitely. So... I think even going one step before that is if you choose the right ATSs for you, I think is the most important thing because um, if you were to go for, I don't know, a large provider, um, a large ATS provider, whilst it, it, it looks nice and shiny, they're the biggest, so they've got to be the best. It's not necessarily the space. It's, uh, it's not necessarily the best thing for an SME because um they aren't as customizable and user friendly when it comes to changing and tweaking things to to suit your needs. Right. And you'll find that if you were to go for a smaller ATS, um, they're a lot more hands on with delivering their customer service. And you usually have an account manager at the end of the phone, whereas these big providers, you actually have to hire an ATS expert in-house just Not to make changes. Yeah, and you'll see you'll see these adverts everywhere. You know, workday specialist, eye trend specialist, mm -hmm. whatever the bigger ones are. Whereas the small ones, all of that support sits in house, and they they will customize a system to 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 what you need it to do. Um, so I think that's that's really important, making the right choice. Um, and I've got no affiliations, whatever the the, the best ATS pitches for you. I think go for it, but. Um, just make sure that it's small it, it, and customizable and look for customer service as opposed to large generic you know, oh, no, yeah no one ever got fired for recruit for getting but actually it's probably not a good shout in this situation no not at all um so yeah 100 percent. and then when it comes to um your, your biggest quick wins um that your account manager can support you with this because they'll be working for you as um as opposed to the bigger ats's but i think Automating your messaging, getting that messaging right will save a lot of time. So um, we talked about ghosting before. You can set your ATS up to make sure that every single person gets a response at every single stage and then no one will ever get ghosted. So it, it's such a simple thing to do um, through your applicant tracking system. And it means that you're not sending manual e emails out. And then you can go one step further. And actually, all the ATSs have moved forward with the technology. but linking them in with your outlook calendars that way you can if you want to book an interview in it goes directly into a calendar so you're not having to set a diary invite up and a teams meeting or zoom or whatever it might be um so you automate that very easily for your ats um standardized reporting that gets sent out automatically to the business so you're not having to build reports manually and in terms of tracking you know vacancy numbers turnover figures all, all the rest of it you can you can you can you can create some really cool reports that sent out that are sent out to leadership teams automatically automatically from your ATS. Um, and yeah, so there's, there's 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 a number of things that you can you can do really. And I think the, the obvious thing I haven't even touched on it is is creating templates for everything. So it might take you an extra bit of time to create a, a template for a role and add the advert and the job description and everything. Um, but once you've created that template in a lot of ATSs, you can then just go back to it and reuse it. So you're not having to, you know, post a job from scratch. There's loads of ways you can automate. And then with a lot of ATSs, especially the smaller ones, they will they will 
have um, multi-post posting tools as well. So when you come to post an advert, um, it posts to all of your preferred job sites that you would want to post to. Um, and again, it means that you're not having to go around each job site and post manually an advert on Indeed and Read and Total Jobs. It all comes from your ATS, adverts distributed, uh, click of the button and you don't have to do anything about it. That's really interesting. Actually, I didn't realise that they did as much as that um, in terms of tracking systems. So that's a really helpful insight. I suppose then keeping flowing through. So you're talking about posting on job boards and things like that. Where do you think, again, as SMEs, we don't have large amounts of money to go and use a headhunter to go out and recruit somebody. This is all being done manually, possibly by yeah. someone internally. What's the most cost effective? What's most up to, up to date now in terms of getting talent? Yeah, I think the obvious one, so you've got load of, different kind of aggregated i think your main job boards will be your read your total job um i'll come on to indeed in a second but that's an obvious one but a lot of these job boards that you you have to have some kind of annual subscription with them or you can buy one-off postings but they are quite expensive and they're probably not going to want me to hear me say that but they are expensive in terms of the uh, of the return on investment so when you are buying job slots and you're investing money with these different job boards you really need to make sure that you get that return on investment and you can only really get that return on investment if you've trialed them a lot of them will offer a trial so you could do you know a three-month trial and and you know see if you actually hire anyone through those job boards but i think making sure that your ta team track that return on investment is the number one most important thing when spending money in ta now, Indeed's different because you don't need to spend money on Indeed. And if you want your best bang for your buck, advertising Indeed, it'll probably find your advert for you anyway and scrape it and put it on there. Oh, really? Is that how it works? Yeah, so it's, 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 it's really cool. So that it's, it's an organic job scraping tool and it, it will use the internet and it will use your own local job board to collect your data, your advert, your logo, and it'll put it on its, on its website automatically. Now, how they make money, well, there's a few ways they make money, but how they make money from you is that if you want to boost that advert, you put a, a campaign behind it. So you allocate a certain amount of money and then it will boost your advert up the rank so that you appear at the top of their search. So your, your job will be on their job board. It'd just be, you know, 10 pages at the back. No one really sees it. Whereas like if you SEO, Google rankings. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's exactly yeah. like that. And it, it would use a, a not too dissimilar kind of algorithm to do it. And obviously, the, the more money you pump into it, the higher up you go. Um, and then you'll have an account manager for, for Indeed as well. So they'll be able to advise you how much money will get you where with your advert. Um, so that's Indeed. Now, LinkedIn is not too dissimilar now, actually. So LinkedIn, um, I think it was a year or two ago. You can post, I think, two jobs on LinkedIn for free now. Um, however, it works in a similar way where your job will be on LinkedIn, but then you need to invest money. So it, it, it bumps up. Cool. And then if you want to post any more than a, a job or two on there, you will um, you'll need to get a, a proper recruiter license and uh, mm. you have an account manager that will manage your, your, your budgets for you. But I think for me, depending on the role that you're looking for, when it comes to kind of looking at active candidates that are in the market linkedin is predominantly used for kind of skilled office you know workers whereas indeed uh, indeed is a bit of everything but if you if um if you look at your 
if, if, if we were to put it in it from a salary range perspective from kind of zero to, um any anything up to 30 to 40 k's indeed would work really well for and then in uh, linkedin is kind of the 30 to 40k upwards it works really well for i found personally in my experience yeah and then and then indeed you you obviously can go higher than that and it works well and 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 again total jobs link uh, read they they kind of work across the board really um and then you've got there's something i haven't actually spoken about which is your niche job website so you'll find that um different industries and different sectors will have a website that's dedicated to that niche and um, if you have a certain niche, it might be that that website works really well for you. So uh, an example might be uh, charity jobs. So uh, if you are in the, the charity sector and actually that's your driver, you are in that sector because that's what you're passionate about, giving back and, and doing all that. Um, you will naturally just gravitate towards that job board. So that's where you'll find those types of candidates. And the same goes for nursing. I talk about nursing because that's the sector I'm currently in. There, there are a number of nursing uh, job boards out there where naturally nurses will gravitate towards because they know that the only job that they will see on, on there is the job that they want to apply yeah, for. It's um, yeah, so, so, so yeah, so that's, that's job boards. But I think the, the key thing to bear in mind with job boards is... Um, that you're only going to be attracting uh, the 30% of the active candidate market. So if you take the market as a whole, 100%, at any given, so I think it was LinkedIn um, did a uh, piece of work a, a number a few years ago where they looked at the whole market and it, around 30% of the market at any given time would be actively looking for a job. So they'd be out there looking at adverts applying. And then you've got that 70% that are passive, that are currently in their job, happy in their job. However, they might turn their head if someone approached them and said, look, we've got a job for you. It's close to home or it's bit, you, you'd be earning a bit more money um, or whatever it might be. So that, for me, is an untapped area that not many people really tap into and utilise. Um, and it's usually the area of the market that is kind of less left exclusively for headhunters and that's and that's where they get their value but i guess um you can see those are often at higher cost roles of more i guess where, where people are sort of um cherry picking or so sort of poaching but yeah. in the areas where um in smaller businesses and certainly our experience we've had quite a decent experience from from linkedin um but the job yeah. boards the challenge has been actually sifting because there's a yeah. lot of dross and so i suppose just very briefly before we're going to just go on to finish off with interviewing and onboarding any top tips for sifting i, I mean i suppose I, I can i thought myself having clarity on the job role from the start starting with that helps yeah. a lot as to what questions you ask but what would you say in terms of sifting if you did get a lot of um you know candidates yeah so from if, if you there's i think there's two things for me um both of them are relatively similar um the first one is creating killer questions, which you, you should be able to do for your, uh, for, for your applicant tracking system, but you can also do them on the various job boards. So they will be any question like, um, do you have a minimum of three years experience as a, you know, a dialysis yeah. or yeah, or customer service assistant in the telecom sector or whatever it might be. Anyone that says no to that, they'll automatically get cut from the process. 
Um, and then you can cre create a number of killer questions that just completely remove any candidate that you know is, is not going to be um, suitable. Um, and another question might be, are you, are you comfortable uh, commuting two days into this location? Um, so, and, you know, sometimes people will say yes to all the questions, but other times they actually work and they do sift. Yeah. So that's one way to, to support with that shortlisting process. And another way is, um, so it's a really cool piece of technology that um, I'm currently in the process myself of, of creating, which allows um, the interviewer or the business to talk to the candidate and say, thank you so much for, uh, for applying for this role. There's a few questions that we'd like to ask you. And then the candidate can interact back with that live video um, to then respond. So it, it, it allows the candidate to actually see some from the business and hear someone's voice from the business and see them. Uh, and then respond either in video form, audio form or text form to a number of questions, which um, will allow the, the, the person shortlisting to better um, shortlist against the role. That's sort of almost pre-interviewing. So that's really good against saving time of your interviewers. But you're getting that sort of real person sift. My daughter's just applying for um, a, a placement and she's just had to do that. Um, in there, so yes. interesting. using technology and again it's great as well because it might be an initial time outlay for you to actually set the video up but if you're recruiting you know five or ten of the same role um that initial time investment is saved you know 10 20 times over from the amount of time that it take you to interview yes so if you, just just for an interview it's going to take you it's going to take the business an hour and a half um, just to do one interview because if you think the amount of time it takes to actually coordinate timings you know it's, it's around ha half an yeah. hour's worth of work to and from yeah. the candidate to get it set and it's up it's asynchronous as well isn't it so you don't you could also you don't you're not have to block out time in peak time of day either so you could review those that's videos and in, in quieter hours so i can see that's valuable well and you can use you can use tech as well like calendly as well to get um to get those diary invites sent, set up as well and there's that if, if you use if you use technology cleverly there's so many corners that you can cut and time and and, and little time savings that you can make which will make a big difference when it comes to processing candidates as well i was, I was going to say I, what i might ask you to do miles is post the um post call because i'm sure you don't want to sort of over recognize someone so others if you have any top bits of tech or otherwise or, or recommendations let me know and perhaps I can put them in the show notes or we could post them out. Maybe when we post the episode out, you can put some links to ones that you do rec um, recommend um, for people because it is often great to have a sort of, you're clearly have got such comprehensive understanding and insights and we keep tapping into little bits here where the tech could be helpful that I imagine people would probably want to um, follow up and, and get access to your expertise. Um, I think in the interest of time, we'll, we'll stop there. We know that you need to then go on and, and interview properly face to face and probably have standard interview questions and actually if you look in our HR uprising um, catalogue we've done quite a lot on specific interviews and things like that and onboarding as a topic so that would be your closing point um, yep. but Miles if people want to to work with you because that has been so interesting and so packed with content let's just summarize what we've, we've gone through we've talked mm -hmm. about having a solid foundation, really understanding what you're looking for, being real about the company and culture, what it is you're looking um, to recruit and not sort of not pretending uh, as to what it is to get the right fit for the person. And that's going to go right back to when you're sifting. You need to know what you're looking for in the first place. Think about your, your future and current talent needs from business. Consider your um, employee value proposition in terms of your adverts, your website, the whole process, D&I. We talked about some really insightful 
um, insight into um, ATS's African tracking systems and how you can use those better. Investing that time in those and setting up the, um, setting them up effectively can pay back huge in dividends. And I really felt that technology was starting to come through more and more in terms of job boards um, and interviews, in terms of that pre-interview to get those right candidates through, but all the while making sure that you are managing your brand so that you set things up so people are not ghosted because it's so important to to have an, an a sort of an iron in ear on that for your future employees. So and Miles, if people want to speak to you directly and follow up with you and, and um ask you questions, etc., or get your recommendations, how would they find you? Um best bet for me is LinkedIn. Um I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um so you can find me LinkedIn.com slash Miles Burnell. Um all one word. Um, or you can pop me an email. Um, so uh, my email is miles at milohr.com. That's a nice easy one. And it's banal, B-O-N-E-L-L. And obviously we'll put these links in the show notes as well. Miles, thank you very much. That was a really insightful um, recording. So I appreciate your time today. No, thank you very much for having me. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.